We're going to be in uh, 1 John 3, 4 through 10. So if you would take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 7. And I'm not kidding. Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Before we read, well, actually, before we do any reading, let's pray. Father, we just, uh, in this day and age, all that's happening around us, all the, the misunderstanding and the, and the, the hatred and the confusion and um, in so many of the things that we've put confidence and hope in in the last six months is just all falling apart. Um, now more than ever, Lord, we desperately need help. Help to navigate through all of this confusion. And so we thank you for the, the text that we get to look at today and that we get to study. And I pray, Father, that it forever affects the way we think about you, about the church, about one another, uh, about our relationships, Lord. Uh, you care about those things. And you care that we think like you think and that we act in accordance with what you think and what you say. And so... May we approach this with humility for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, before we read 1 John 3, 4 through 10, I want to lay the groundwork for what we're going to read. Um, and I want to do this because, I, for a couple of reasons, we, we, we tend to disconnect Jesus from the teachings of the apostles. And I don't think we do this on purpose. I just think that sometimes we do this. We think maybe that the apostles were interpreting Jesus and maybe going a little further than Jesus on this. Um, and, and what we're going to read today in first John is going to, it's going to rake against the coals of what, what we perceive of Jesus. Um, when we perceive Jesus, we think of him as the uh, as the uh, Middle Eastern Fabio, you know, with the long hair and the beard, and he's always happy and all this kind of stuff, and always around doing good things. And so, so what I want to do is I want to connect John and what he says with what Jesus says. So I want, and and so by doing that, we're going to have, we're in a way, we're going to be forced to consider how we perceive Christ Himself, not just the teachings of John. And so. So this this kind of drives the question are we are we uh are we thinking about Jesus in biblical terms or are we thinking about Jesus in cultural terms because there's a huge difference and so um his works the things that he did are just as important as his words and his words are just as important as the things that he did so we're going to put those. To, we're going to marry them. Okay. So, so this is some of his teaching, and 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 John's not going to go out of his way to say something that Jesus didn't say. Um, so we're going to see where the foundation is here in Matthew chapter seven. So this is the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, so verse fifteen. 
Jesus himself says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So, and, and that's where we would maybe stop and go, well, you really can't know. I mean, they look like everybody else. They act like everybody else. You know, it, it, we feel some sense of safety and security by sitting back and going, you, you really can't know. You can't really know. You know, is, is so-and-so saved or unsaved? I, who am I to tell? Look at what Jesus says next. He doesn't stop there. You will recognize them, the them being the false prophets, the, the false believers, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Go ahead and answer out loud. Is it, I mean, okay, just making sure. We're tracking together here. Um, are figs from thistles? No. Is anybody confused by this yet? This seems pretty, this is, I hope this is clear. Uh, thank you for letting me preach this, by the way. <laughs> I like simple passages. This is so far so good. Alright? Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Not complicated. Verse 18, a healthy tree, uh, uh, verse 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Which, that means that the bad tree really, it could bear good fruit, it just doesn't, it's, it's so capable, right? No. Verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear uh, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. It's not just that they, that the world around us is, is, they're really good. Everybody's good. They just, some people just don't, don't always act good all the time. <laughs> this says here that they can't. That's not, it, it is not possible. Bad tree, bad fruit. Good tree, good fruit. Black and white. It's very clear. Okay? Every tree that does not bear good fruit still makes it into heaven. They just escape through the flames. Is that what it says? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's not complicated. It's not what we want to hear. Because we want to hear, well... You know, my children, when they were little, they, they made professions of faith and they live like complete hellions today. They don't love God and they don't follow God and they don't love the church and they don't even, I don't even know if they even have a Bible anymore, but they, they are, they're a believer. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He's not telling us that we should do this. He's just saying it's going to happen. It's not like, well, you know, look into everybody's life and examine their fruit. No, you just will. Everybody does. So by saying of a bad tree that even though they're bearing bad fruit, they're still a good tree, you're actually contradicting Jesus. And that's not okay. It's okay to conclude the same conclusion that Jesus comes to. It's okay. No, it's not going to win friends and influence people, I can tell you. I can promise you. But I'd so rather land in the same place with Jesus than with anybody else. 
So this passage either there's like one of two responses either either we're going to recognize that we really are lost and that we need Christ because in the examination of our own fruit we're going oh what is wrong with me something's wrong but the other response is going to be for the believer for the person who's like yeah I, I, I do believe in Christ I trust him as my savior I know that when I pass I'm going to be with him then this passage, this teaches us biblical discernment. That there really is a line down the middle. And that we have to acknowledge it. To come to any other conclusions, we're going to find that we're not on the side of the gospel at all. So, so having said that, what we're about to read in 1 John 3, so if you want to turn there, you can. 1 John 3, 4-10, through 10. Understand that what we're about to read is not something new. It's not John going to some extreme here. I just want you to know Jesus already taught this. So John, John is not, he's not, he's not going beyond the teachings of Jesus here. What he's doing is simply unfolding what Jesus has already taught. Is that enough of a preparation for reading reading this? Let's put it this way. If Matthew 7 was convicting, 1 John 3 is going to be a doozy. Okay, 1 John 3, 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. I'm glad you all are sitting down. Isn't that painful? So what we're going to do is we're going to just... I'm going to camp out in, in verse 4 for a little bit here. And, and by the way, did you notice the cause and effects? Did you see that? We'll, we'll point these out as we go. But last week we talked about the cause and effect. That there is a definite cause and effect. If God loves me this much, then I, the effect is going to be this. Cause and effect. It's all through here. All right, it's just John unpacking these these thoughts. So, um, the first, what I want to do uh, is in verse four. Notice everyone who makes a practice. We talked about practice last week. We talked about it in conjunction of, to sports. And so I, I was like, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't really need to like look up this word and try to figure it out more. We've already talked about it. It's not, you know. Not a big deal, and we kind of everybody knows what it means to practice. And um, before we get into more of that, that, there are some translations like the NIV or the New Living that does, it doesn't even have the word practice. It just says whoever sins. 
So if you've got an NIV, it, it sounds even more harsh than the ESV here. Um, sins being plural, uh, a present in, a present tense. It's it's still happening. We're we're in the process. We're we're practicing it. We're practicing sin. And so, um, so again, I didn't. I, didn't, I, I looked up the word just to, to make sure that I was going the right direction here, and found that the word practice can also be translated abide. Oh, well, we've already talked about abide. It's a different word than the one that Jesus or that John uses in that we abide in Christ. It's a different word, but but it has maybe a little bit different flavor. And then I got really interested and started looking at where this same word is used in other passages. So I'm going to I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. This is wild. 2 Corinthians 11. So in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is giving his catalog of suffering here. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 25. And now when I read this, I want you to try and figure out which word is the same word as abide. Okay? And then we'll talk about it. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Where's the word abide at? Where's the word committed? It's in there. What? Has been? You're close. Yeah, 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 yeah. Any other translations for that word or phrase? Did you guys see it? Oh. What did you say, Nikki? Adrift. The word is adrift. Oh, whoa. Mind blown. All right. Um, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was committed to the sea. That puts a whole different spin on what it means to practice. And what, what I realized when I saw this, it was that... As much as I think I'm the master of my sin, I'm not. Sin masters me. Because when you see this picture, you're, you, you don't ever see when, when you hear that Paul was adrift at sea, you were not sitting there going, oh, well, he would, he'd drift for a couple hours, he'd get out and work on his tan and eat a snack. And then he'd get back in for a couple of hours and drift some more. No, he was committed to the sea. He was in the sea and he wasn't getting out of it. So then that kind of begs the question. Are we adrift in our sin? Again, you don't master sin. Sin masters you. John 8 is very clear. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Whatever freedom you think you have, you're a slave. Whatever, whatever you think you have in control over sin, you don't. Is sin a habit in our lives. Well, John explains that practicing sin, 
committing sin, doing sin, living in a lifestyle of sin, is also lawlessness. And now it's not just that... um, Well, okay, so sin is sin. Everybody sins, right? Sin, 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 sin. I know it's not a popular word today, but and in fact, we don't really define it. We just know that everybody is, especially in the church culture. Everybody sins. I've heard that from lost people. Oh, yeah, everybody sins, whatever. For all of sin, it falls short of the glory of God. Okay. What's sin? If sin is lawlessness, it kind of then pushes us to, well, what is lawlessness? If sin is lawlessness, then maybe we need to know what lawlessness is. John says very specifically that we can't leave sin in a in an undefined realm. We have to say something about sin. What is sin? Sin. What is lawlessness? So, Vine's Expository Dictionary. I'll give you the definition in this word study. Vine says that lawlessness is the attempt by the powers of darkness to overthrow the divine government. Stop and think about that. The attempt by the powers of darkness to overthrow the divine government. Now, just so you know, every time you sin, what you are actually doing is telling God, I hate your government. Even if you don't think that, every time you sin, that is what you are doing according to John. You are telling God, I don't want your government over my life. The power of darkness is trying to overthrow the divine government every time I sin. I call somebody up and I gossip. I'm attempting to overthrow the divine government. And that's a baby sin. Man. Matthew Henry puts it like this. He says, Sin is the rejection of the divine law. And this is the rejection of the divine authority. And consequently, God himself. That's how attached God is to his word. That we, that we as humans may think, I'm gonna separate this out. I'm gonna say, I love God, but I am not going to obey the word. Just so you know, when you sin, you are sinning against the God of the word. Sadly, sadly, American Christianity says, no, that doesn't work. I want salvation in Christ, but I don't want separation from sin. But that doesn't work. That is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is not moral anarchy. God came, he writes me a blank check, I can live like a rebel, and he's just going to cover it all up. Now, does his grace superabound? Over my sin, you better believe it. Where my sin abounds, God's like, I got it. I'm going to go way further. But understand that if I've been saved by grace, I don't get a blank check. That grace is not, is not a blank check. That grace, it, it does something. It does something to me if I'm saved. 
verse 5. 1 John 3. You turn back there, you can. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Once again, John pushes us to figure out what is it we actually believe about Jesus. Here are the world's answers for why he came. Wow, he came to to show us a better way. Have you heard that before? Yeah. We don't want to say anything else about Jesus. He just, you know, he's just a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. He's, he showed us a better way. Ah, no. Jesus, he set a good example. It's good to just be like him, you know. Be nice to other people and, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, he showed up, his teachings. He, he was just, he was just giving us teachings from heaven. I mean, he's enlightened. He was trying to enlighten the rest of us. He was just, he showed up to demonstrate the importance of sacrifice. Just leave it there, right? These are worldly answers. And I don't necessarily disagree with any of them. Did Jesus show us a better way? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Look at the lives of the Pharisees. Was, were the things that he confronted them on beneficial? Absolutely. Were they, were they caught in a religious snare? Yes. He showed us a better way. Did he set a good example? Should we follow after him? Yes. Did he teach heavenly teachings? In fact, he even says, I don't say anything unless the Father has said it first. So it had to be from heaven. How important is sacrifice? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the guy we claim to believe did sacrifice himself on a cross. Sacrifice is kind of important. But why did he appear? our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him why did he show up he showed up because of substitution before all those other things we, we may not disagree with those answers but guys Christ showed up to take away your sins can you imagine? In John 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming at him. He's, behold, the Lamb of God who showed us a better way. I don't think so. Ah, behold, the Lamb of God who demonstrates kindness. It's not right. Behold, the Lamb of God who sets us a good example. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I heard a preacher one time quote, a, quote an old evangelist named Leonard Ravenhill. And he said, Leonard Ravenhill asked the question, if he came to take away sins, what's he taken away from you? 
If we make the claim to follow him, has, has, has anything changed? Have you been delivered from anything? Guys, does this, just, does this statement make any sense? That the blood of, uh, of Christ is so good, powerful, and effective that upon breathing my last, I will be ushered into glory as a spotless child of God. But, that same blood is worthless, powerless, and ineffective over my regular fits of rage. That doesn't make sense. That the same blood is worthless, powerless, and ineffective over my addiction. That this blood is worthless, powerless, and ineffective over my internet pornography addiction. I believe that Jesus, because of his shed blood, he's going to usher me into heaven, but he just has no power over my life right now. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. What do we believe about Christ? What do we believe about the gospel? You understand that if you have a a gospel that doesn't change your life, you can't translate the word gospel as good news because that's not good news. There has to be some kind of change. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So here is abide in him showing up again. And Strong's gives us several words to accompany the word abide. So continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, tarry. Those are all translations of that word, abide. Now put put Christ in this. To continue in Christ. To dwell in Christ. To endure in Christ. Be present in Christ. Remain in Christ. Stand in Christ. Tarry in Christ. So when we're asking the question... Are you reading your Bible and are you praying? That that seems so cliche. But behind that question is this. How is your relationship to God? So much so that you want to pray to Him. That you want to cast all of your cares on Him. That, that you want to know what He has to say. What He thinks. It's not just, well, go read your Bible. No. It's God. That's who we're talking about. Don't you want to know what he has to say? Don't you want to know in all of this confusion that we live in in this society that God has spoken, that he said something? And that this is, that everything that he said in a hundred years is still going to be the stuff he said. He's not going to look at COVID-19 and go, oh, I didn't see that coming. I need to change some things here. Hold on. He doesn't do that. We went to Wyoming, which was awesome. Uh, and we got to stay in a cabin. And the, uh, and, and the guy that owns the cabin, I sent him a thank you note a couple weeks ago and, and, uh, I found his address and I should have thought about this before, but it's like, he, it's not his home address. He has a P.O. box about 30 minutes away from his house because he does live. There's no post office 
or there's no postman that's going to get in the car and drive where he lives. Okay, it, it was that remote. Uh, you know, where does he abide? Does he abide in his, his house? Or does he abide in the post office box? His, where he lives is where he abides. Where do you live? And I don't mean like Louisiana Bowling Green, Eolia. That's where do you live? Do you live in Christ? Or do you live in sin? Do I take up my residence in, just, in, in habitually sinning or do I take up my residence in habitually acting righteously in Christ? When, according to John, when we're committing our lives, when we're abiding in sin, you understand what John is ex- explaining in this verse? You have neither seen him or known him. What do you believe about Christ? If, if, if I'm continuing in a lifestyle of sin, I'm what I'm also declaring, besides that I'm trying to usurp the government of God in my life, is that I have no idea about this Jesus. John is saying... This is a complete disconnection. See, if you're continuing something you know you're not supposed to, then you really haven't seen Christ for who He is. You don't know Him. Not just that you don't know Him very well, you don't know Him. I cannot say that Christ dwells in me and, 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 and it be the Christ of the Bible who was sinless. But my relationship to sin hasn't changed. That doesn't make any sense. And then we get verse 7, which sounds a little bit like our Matthew 7 passage. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. This is, again, just not complicated. But but a deceiver is somebody who is going to convince themselves as well as other people that what John is saying here really isn't what John is meaning. Because we don't, we, a deceiver doesn't want to see it in black and white. We don't want to say to somebody, if you don't practice righteousness, you're not of God. Well, John does. See, a deceiver thinks John the Apostle, he wrote 2,000 years ago. His head buried in the sand. He didn't have a clue. We're modern people. He doesn't realize that all those gray areas out there. What are we saying about the Bible? What's a deceiver saying about, about the Bible? Two unmarried people came to me years ago. And I confronted, they were living together. And I confronted them on living in adultery. Oh no, we're not living in adultery. That's for married people. Ha! Oh, that's one way around it. Our excuses sounded really good. 
but they don't work. They don't work. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, so, so progressive, and we're going to mention this again, but <clears throat> do you see that, that, it's, that it's not just sin it, that he appeared to take away, which was verse 5, but here we're, he's adding to this that, that Satan, who is the, is the source and the start of sin, he, he, he's, he's, when he came, when Jesus came, that was undone too. So, so John is pointing out there's a source for sin and it's, it's the devil. So if you sin, if you're living in sin, your daddy is Satan. If you're living in righteousness, your daddy is God the Father. Again, it's, just, it's not complicated. Guys, I've seen, I've seen the picture. Okay. Rod talked about it last week. He didn't show anybody. Did you show anybody? Okay. It is creepy. Okay. I'm just telling you right now. The, the whole, uh, the app that makes you look older. <laughs> Guys, he's still bald. No hair. Okay. And more wrinkles and he looks like Dale. Okay. I, really. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's like his dad and him are twins. It's, it's sick. <laughs> the reality is you are going to be like your dad. We were laughing about this last night. Uh, okay, so I called my parents earlier in the week, so bringing manure to our garden. And, uh, oh, we're not going to get to it till, th- this is what I was saying to them. I, I, I'm, we're not going to get to the garden till November, at least, before we can till it up and, and prep it for winter and all that. And uh, talked to Dad a couple of days later, and Thursday, Dad showed up with dirt. After I just talked to them about how it's going to be weeks, why would he do that? Oh, dude. My dad loves to do stuff and be early. You, you guys understand that? You know what I love? <laughs> I love to do stuff and be early. <laughs> Faith? I'm going to single her out. Loves to do stuff and be early. <laughs> She's like her dad. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> the way it is. She's going to be like your dad. You're going to be like your dad. So who's your dad? Who's your daddy? I can look at your lifestyle because I'm supposed to, and I can tell you who your father is. And your neighbor sitting next to you can look at your fruit and say, good tree or bad tree. All of a sudden, things are not quite as complicated, are they? They may be more painful, but they're not as complicated. So, the fruit, the fruit of sin, exposes the root of sin. The fruit of righteousness exposes the root of righteousness. So you can kind of hear in the background in John 3, Jesus saying, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. 
Verse 9. Almost done here. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. So the new birth in Jesus means that we have to have a new relationship to sin. Must. Now this verse pulled from its context is the proof text for a doctrine called sinless perfection. Have you guys heard of this before? You know what it is? So sinless perfection. I'll give you a quick definition, then we're going to try to debunk it here. Sinless perfection is the achievement of arriving at a place in this life where one never sins against God in thought, word, or deed. Do you think that's possible? That I, that I can somehow arrive at this point where I am so holy that I'm, that I do not sin. I mean, when you look at me, you're like, there's no way. <laughs> Thank you. You're right. There isn't. Um, however, there is a way to reach sinless perfection. You know what you have to do? You gotta change your definition. You gotta stop talking about sin. Believe that you've gotten to that point and start using the word mistake. Don't use the word sin, use mistake. And if that's the case, you've arrived. I'm obviously being a little bit sarcastic. But I found that word, mistake, in the teachings of the guy who propagated sinless perfection. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church. So don't use the word sin. So if I've arrived at sinless perfection, I'm not, I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm just a guy who makes mistakes. You just gotta change your definition. Reality is, context is king. It will always reign. Always. And so, with that being said, that means, okay, have you ever, have you ever played tug of war? Some of us, it's been a while. And I don't think now I would really enjoy a game that much of tug of war because it, it'd take days for me to recover rather than hours, okay? Um, but everybody, everybody, everybody knows what tug of the, tug of war is? Okay. So you got a team over here, you got a team over here, and there's a line, and you pull, the, the teams pull against each other to cross the, the, the middle. Right? That's how tug of war is played. Can you imagine tug of war where you have two ropes and you have a guy in the middle holding both of them? (laughs) You're the only one laughing. What a picture. You're getting pulled back and forth, but somehow you have to manage to stay in the middle. Welcome to biblical theology. There, because we have to take verse 9 here and we have to do business with the fact that you can't continue in sin if you abide in Christ. That's what John says. That's a very clear teaching. And then you back up to chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 8. If anyone, or if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in this. Just hold on to both ropes. I'm not saying you can bring them together or make any sense out of them, but just know that there's a tension in those two things. 
If you say you've reached sinless perfection, you're a liar. According to John, you have deceived yourself if you think that at some point you've gotten where you just don't sin anymore. Just to say, I don't sin anymore, is a sin. Okay, just so you know. I mean, you can't say that and not sin. You can't say, well, I I, I never sin. (laughs) You know, that's a sin. It just is. And at the same time, if I'm like, oh, yeah, sin, no big deal, just live in it. Well, then I'm also wrong because John 3 says that I can't continue in sin. So, oh, by the way, this is really interesting. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 35. Jeremiah, as is so common with the prophets to lay out uh, the court case against the nation, says in verse 35, among so many other things they had done wrong, Jeremiah 2, verse 35 says, You say, this is God saying to them, I am innocent. Surely his anger has turned for me. Behold, I will bring you to judgment for saying I have not sinned. Anyway, so uh, you need to remember that. Well, so I did I did a search in my in my in my um, my Bible program that I study with on that phrase, sinless perfection. And you know what's crazy? It wasn't just theologians dealing with this whole notion that you can be somehow sinless. So often, that phrase was in the context of Christ. See, you can't be saved and arrive at sinless perfection, but you have to understand you are saved by sinless perfection. Verse 10. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, so John just reaffirms, restates this truth that we are going to emulate our spiritual dads. Meaning, God the Father or God or, or, or the devil. I mean, again, it's just very, very clear. We had a neighbor um, come several weeks ago, and uh, she had she recognized uh, that she had been in spiritual warfare. There was definitely spiritual battle going on. She said she was laying there, couldn't move, and she was trying to think of Bible verses, things to quote, because she knew there, that that Satan was there. And she said to me, "I, I know that some people." Uh, will sell their souls to the devil. Do you think that in this warfare that I was having, that Satan was trying to get my soul? And I took her to First John and I said, no. What you experienced was Satan trying to keep your soul. See, it's, it's not that I'm, I'm, I don't know, am I innocent, guilty? No, I'm guilty. 
I'm condemned already, according to John 3. I'm, uh, it's done. When I stand before God, He's not going to take my good stuff and my bad stuff and weigh it on a scale. I'm like, oh, well, the, the good is a little bit better, so I guess you're in. That's not how this works. You're already condemned. You can't do that. If you're, if you're guilty of murder, you can't go to the judge and be like, look, I helped the old lady across the street. Let's balance this out a little bit. Let me go. No, you're guilty of murder. You have to be tried as a murderer. No matter how much good you think that you've done. So we're either the children of God or we're children of the devil. Chapter 5 of this same book, verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There is, there is not a fight for your soul from Satan. There is a fight to keep your soul from Satan if you don't know Christ. John, in this verse, uh, in chapter 3 here, verse 10, briefly, and this is, you mentioned this, Rod, the, the whole, the, the spiral thinking of John, that he, he'll, he'll introduce something, talk a little bit about something else, and then reintroduce what he talked about before. This is a good example of this. In chapter 2, he already talked, so let me start over. Chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, sorry, at the end of verse 10, he says, uh, well, let's just read verse 10 again. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother, which is exactly what we're going to talk about next week with Cain and Abel. And yet the subject that he's introducing here has already been talked about. That's chapter 2. Notice chapter 2, 9 and 10. Whoever says... He is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves uh, his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So, so let, let's add to this. So when we get asked the question, well, how, how, how is your, how's your Bible reading and how's your prayer life? But, but right behind that, how, how is your relationship to your local church? How's your relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ that you gather with on a regular basis to worship? And when they say, I, I don't do that. <laughs> It's not just do more stuff. What about God? I had, I had this conversation with somebody at work. They don't ever go to church. It's like, oh, I, I told them, I'm like, I need the church. I, I, it's not like a, 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 a just take it or leave it thing. I need fellowship. I need the body of Christ. I was saved by Christ to be in the body of Christ. Now, uh, chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. That's a terrifying thought. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They, who's the they in the next verse? The many Antichrists. They went, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. What does it mean to be anti-Christ? It means to be anti-church. More on that next week. Application. Four things. First, uh, a couple years ago, I um, uh, discovered in, in shopping, I love to shop on Amazon. Ain't going to lie. It's pretty cool. But did you know that there are, there are minimalist things you guys know what minimalist means? 
I was looking for a watch, and I discovered a minimalist watch. And in fact, there's a whole bunch of them. And you know what's crazy? You look at a minimalist watch. It's really thin. It's really small. It's just... You can't hardly see it. It's so little. It's, it's just insignificant. You know what's crazy? It does something amazing. It tells the time. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't check your blood pressure or how many steps you've had or how many calories you've burned. It doesn't read your, your heart. You can't text on it. You can't make phone calls on it. I don't know. Probably. You do that with a watch nowadays. Hey. <laughs> you know, look like a dork. <laughs> Talking. To, anyway. It's a minimalist watch. It tells the time and that's it. Or a minimalist wallet. You know. You don't need a wallet this thick with 40 credit cards. How about your debit card and 20 bucks? That's all you need. Just like the watch, the wallet is functional. At, it, at, at, its, at its core, it's functional. Rod and I, the other couple nights ago, were talking about uh, tiny houses. Same thing. There's, there's, there's somebody on, on, our, on, on Highway NN that lives in a, in a shed. They don't have a big HVAC system. They have a window unit that does everything they need for hot and cold. No storage space, but man, they love their outdoor chairs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, that's the highlight of their lives. They don't have a garage. They don't have stuff. They have a place to sleep. It's still functional. John is minimalist. It's black and white. There, can more be said on, on this, on these subjects that we've looked at? Absolutely. Is everything that's been said what needed to be said? Yes. It's minimalist, but it's right. It's functional. Verse five. If I can find it. You know that he appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Verse 8, whoever is righteous, uh, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Do you guys realize that the substance of sin, the source of sin, and the self of sin are all dealt with through the effort of Christ on the cross? Every time. John doesn't say, as a result of, hey, you might be a child of the devil. He doesn't say, you should try harder to be righteous. He U-turns at every one of these junctions, and he goes back to the cross every time. Why did Jesus show up? So that we could try harder? No. He died to take away our sins. He died to destroy what Satan started. He died so that he could dwell in us. So, third, denying the cause and effect... That we talked about last week, that if Jesus did this, here's what happens. Not only downplays the message of the gospel, it renders our version of the gospel completely useless. Several years ago, <clears throat> with all the 
racial tension that's in our culture today. We, we have, we have balked the idea of being Southern Baptist. We made a, what was it, a resolution, I think, at, at one of these things years ago. And instead of being Southern Baptists, we're going to call ourselves Great Commission Baptists. Are we really Great Commission Baptists? Go make converts. No, wait, that's not what it says. Go make disciples. Have you ever tried to define disciple without cause and effect? See, we're not doing evangelism if we're just trying to get people to come down an aisle and pray a prayer. We're only doing evangelism if we go a step further and define and take those people under our wing and disciple them to follow Christ. We're not, we're not doing the Great Commission if we're not also doing discipleship. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Have you ever tried to explain baptism without the cause and effect? I'm buried with him in death and I rise again to newness of life. I'm supposed to live a new life. Romans 6. I can't baptize anybody if I don't explain the cause and effect. If Jesus did this, this is what's going to happen in your life. That you are no longer going to be associated with sin and self. You're going to be associated with Christ. Teaching them to observe that I came to seek and save the lost. That's the only verse you have to know, right? Uh, uh, no, no, no. John 3.16. Let's just... You know, teaching them John 3.16. Is that what it says? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we're not, we're not, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission in any form or fashion when we don't actually do what the Great Commission tells us to do. Lastly, A.W. Tozer in his book Practical Christianity says it should be plain beyond all room for doubt that when God imparts saving faith to a soul. Radical and real effects will follow. One cannot be raised from the dead without there being a consequent walking in newness of life. One cannot be subject of a miracle of grace being wrought in the heart without a noticeable change being apparent to all who know him. Where a supernatural root has been implanted, supernatural fruit must issue. Now, to help us with this tension that I was talking about earlier. How many... All my kids are grown. Praise God they're through this stage. How many of you potty trained before? Oh, it's... It could be the worst week, month, year, two years of your life. You know what I'm saying? What's the... Tell me the difference. If you have a child who you have shown, hey, you put bowel movements here, okay? And that child regularly, when he has to go to the bathroom, finds a corner and hides from you. Ever had that happen? <laughs> What's the difference between that child and a child who's like, oh, 
I have to go to the bathroom. And they take off. And in the process of trying to get to the bathroom, they mess up. See the difference? A lost person, they go sit in the corner. They, they, they don't want governance over their lives. A Christian, man, are you running towards Christ? It doesn't mean that, that it's going to be perfect. I can promise you, you're going to fail. But the question is, is this your life? Does sin own you or does Christ own you? Did he come to take away sins? Is that what you believe? Let's pray. God, that's what we are. We're just, we're just little kids demonstrating our fruit. When you look at me, do you see me running towards you in the face of my failures? Or, or do you see me cowering? I don't want to be taught. I don't want to learn. I, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be in submission to you. Cause when I live in a lifestyle of sin, that's what I'm saying to you. So God, help us to see so much clearer today, the cross. And that it's not us trying harder. It's, it's us following John in those U-turns and just, and just finding ourselves at, at the feet, the, the, the bloody feet of Christ, sacrificed for us. I want to do the right thing because I know you live in me, not because I feel like I'm going to somehow be on your good side by doing the right thing. Help us to get those things in order for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.